Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, award season is upon us. You may watch them. I once did many years ago out of interest of a lot of different things, but have no real interest in it now personally, and I recognize, as many of you do as well, that anything of importance that may happen at one of these festivities, who actually won, what they had to say, is going to be out there. It's going to be out in all the different elements of media, and if it's something that you think you need to know, sooner or later it'll make its way to your feed, whatever which one that is you choose. So whether it's the the Golden Globes or the Critics Awards or the Grammys or even the Super Bowl, uh, the NFL Awards that'll be on a week from this last Thursday out in front of the big weekend, that one might interest me a little bit by comparison. Even though I don't watch them, I'm quite sure sooner or later on one of those stages there will be a winner who stands before the world and declares him or herself to be blessed. I am so blessed. And when you hear that in the context of the current American culture, what do you understand them to be saying? Are they not using the word blessed to simply be a synonym for fortunate? I'm in a very happy place right now. I'm surrounded by wonderful, gifted people. My family's good to me. I have a lot of financial resources. And obviously, this little statue that I'm receiving tells me I have the respect of my peers. And so I am blessed. You know what I'm talking about. How does that compare to the way Jesus is using the word in these verses? Well, just by reading the content, it doesn't take long for us to realize the award stage and, and what Jesus are talking about is talking about are about as far away from each other as they could possibly be. Poor in spirit, the depressed, the, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the things that are right before God, not only knowing them but doing them, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted because of righteousness, the, the insulted and the falsely accused of evil. I don't know that anybody standing on any stage with all of that being the list of things they've just experienced would say, I am so blessed. Certainly not using the word the way our culture uses it now. That's because Jesus meant something very different with the word that's translated blessed in verses like this. There are a lot of different elements to that word because it's hard to express in the common English language that we use every day. A part of it is being at peace. At peace with, with self, at peace with God, at peace with world. A part of it is being content 
being okay with, even happy with, even willing to celebrate whatever it is, the situation that you're in, because it's okay, because that's where God has placed you, in that experience, in that circumstance, in that whatever it may be. But there's also an element of fulfillment in that word. The being at peace, the being at content is an understanding of I have what I need, I'm comfortable with who I am, and I'm able to address the world in which I live because of how I understand myself in relationship to God. (laughs) That sounds a whole lot different than whoever it is standing on the stage declaring themselves fortunate. Because it doesn't sound all that fortunate to be any of these things that Jesus is talking about. But it's important to recognize who Jesus was talking to. Go back to the first verse and the beginning of the second. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Ah, big crowds out of which Jesus called those who already trusted him, those who already believed in him, those who already saw him as their savior, those who had committed themselves, invested themselves in following him, listening to what he has to say, following what he teaches, living the way he was not only instructing, but setting the example. And what Jesus is ultimately doing for them and for us, those of us gathered in this room who are described that same way as those who know Jesus, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, live for Jesus and with Jesus on a daily basis. What he's ultimately telling us is along the journey of life, you will find blessing in these things because of your association with me. He finally does get there in that last section that I read to start, doesn't he? All of this that you will experience that might be seen as exceptionally negative by the world, when you experience it because of your association with me, your attachment to me, your investment in me and my word, recognize you're far more than fortunate. You are blessed in all the ways this word defines. What Jesus is ultimately doing here is encouraging us to recognize we've got to see a far longer arc on the trajectory of anything that we're experiencing on a daily basis. We're so often tempted and challenged to only be thinking of the moment and what's going on in that moment and responding in kind to whatever it is that's coming at us from other people, from groups of people, from corporate, from whatever. And the reality is Jesus is saying, look, how long are you going to be on this earth? What are you going to make your time on this earth all about when it's just a blip on the radar screen of your existence? 70, 80, 90 years. Had a conversation the last couple days about somebody turning 100 and a couple people asking the question, I don't know if I really would want to get that far, but let's see, whatever the Lord decides. But up against eternity? Up against the never-ending reality of all that God has promised us through faith in Him? 
he asks us to kind of take a step back and take a look at what he's telling us here and think through the reasons why he says it is what it is which is so countercultural, counterintuitive to human beings and the way we live our lives. The poor in spirit, the troubled and the distressed, even to the point of depression, those who believe, those who trust in the forgiveness of their God, those who trust in the promises of something better in eternity, that blessing is the reality that they know, even in the depths of their darkest moments, they are part of the kingdom of God. They belong to his family. There's a place he is preparing for them. Those who mourn, especially those who mourn, those that have died in the faith, that have been brought already to the eternal life that we all long for and yearn for as it's promised to us, we know where they are. We understand. We have We have comfort and consolation in the promises of God like no one else. Absolutely that is a blessing. And then he goes there, doesn't he? The meek. The world would tell us the meek get nothing or they get the crumbs that are coming their way because it's really what they deserve. You've got to stand up for yourself. You've got to claim your rights. You've got to make your move. You've got to do your thing. That doesn't sound meek. And it's easy to see why anybody that would be reading Jesus' words without a believing heart, without a a scriptural perspective, would say, this is loser stuff. Meek? I'm not going to be meek. Ah. But the earth that those who are meek, who, who don't use the moment of confrontation, the moment of advantage, the moment of victory, to seek out their own best interests, They don't do that because they recognize the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal existence that will be made out of all the remnants and the purified elements of what have made this world what it is. They will inherit that earth, and it will be glorious and beyond their imagination. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who set themselves about day by day in everything they do, Thinking through, how does this please God? How will this glorify God? How will this advance the kingdom? How will this impact other souls, especially those that do not yet know Christ and his forgiveness and his love? How can I do the right thing right here that that matches or at least goes some distance to demonstrating my desire to match the perfection, the righteousness that Jesus has given me as a gift, that he's earned for me through his living and dying for me, and has now invited me to live that righteousness myself. When I'm hungering and thirsting for it, there's only one place I can go to get better at it, and that's the word itself. The word and the sacraments, communion with Jesus, fellowship with Jesus, meditation on that word. And when I turn there in that hunger and thirsting, I will always be filled. And mercy? Mercy is only a true reality, an expression of selflessness when it is offered by someone who clearly understands the mercy of God shown to them. How not a single one of us is deserving of that mercy and that grace of God. And yet he's turned it our direction anyway, in full, 
giving us heaven, giving us life, giving us perspective and identity now as members of his family, his eternal kingdom. And so we are empowered in the worst of the moments coming our direction to show mercy to the person that's perpetrating that moment on us, especially. Again, the world would say, oh, not a chance. Push back as hard as you can. Give as it's given to you. Do what you need to do to even potentially survive. But Jesus tells us, be merciful. Because you will also be shown mercy. Eternally. He's focusing you on that moment when you stand in judgment at your, after your last breath or on judgment day if that comes first. You can show mercy. You can be blessed in that mercy. You can demonstrate in this life by the way you show that mercy that you understand that you will be shown mercy in that most important moment of mercy. And maybe that makes you pure in heart. I'm not pure in heart. I wouldn't claim that by any stretch of the imagination. But I know when I stand before God, He sees my heart as pure, not because of anything I've done, but rather because Christ's righteousness is covering all of the evil that I've done, all of the nonsense that I've thought. And think about what it says here. When you pursue the purity of heart that the Scriptures define, it's an expression, it's an extension of your faith and trust in God that there will be a moment someday down the road where you will see him face to face. He will wipe those tears from your eyes. He will embrace you and welcome you into his presence. You will see him face to face. If you've got that on your mind, in your heart, as part of your perspective, you can demonstrate a pureness the world cannot measure or understand, but definitely appreciate, because it'll make you a peacemaker. It'll make you someone who's willing to stand in the breach in moments of confrontation and indecision and help those who are warring with each other, whether that's warring across the, the dining room table, or that's warring across the street, or wherever it is that human beings are in combat with each other, you can play the unlikely role of being someone who's bringing peace to the situation because you're a child of God. You know the peace you have with him. You know the peace that that means you will have forever. And then you have a, a foundation to offer peace to those around you. But have the expectation that all of this effort is going to go a different direction than the world would like it to go Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. You know. You know sitting in this pew. You know preparing to receive the sacrament. You know through your confession and absolution from earlier in the service. You know what it means in your daily life to live for God. To refuse to do something you know isn't pleasing to God. To speak to others about the things that they do or that you do together that you shouldn't be doing, that are not God's will, and you know what that response will be. It's almost a 50-50 proposition, isn't it? Even amongst fellow believers. Will they agree? Will they confess with me? Will they acknowledge and repent with me? Or will they challenge me? Will they ridicule me? Will they 
persecute me because of righteousness, because of my desire to want to live the way God has called me to live. And yet there's blessing here. Jesus tells you it's okay when you're persecuted because of righteousness, because heaven awaits you. The experience of that persecution has its limit. It cannot reach beyond this life to the next life, and the next life is eternal. And so he finally brings it full circle. And when any non-Christian, any unbeliever reads these words, they've got to say, you've got to be kidding me, Jesus. You think this sells? Blessed are you when people insult you? Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me? Hmm. Now he's brought it full circle into a context of what we understand he's been talking about all along. If you know Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you're willing to call Jesus your teacher, these are going to be realities of your life, but now he's helped you put them into perspective to package them in your mind and your heart in a way that you understand them as you're experiencing them. And you can rejoice over them. He says you'll rejoice and be glad. Be happy, almost relieved over the fact that you, you have demonstrated enough faith in the world, enough Christian perspective in your daily life that you have now found yourself in common experience with the whole history of humanity's martyrs and prophets. He points directly to the Old Testament prophets here because he's teaching those who would become the apostles and disciples and evangelists of the New Testament era, every one of them except one giving their life for the gospel in the process. What he's doing is connecting you to all of those people throughout time and place who have belonged to God as believers long before they were ever called Christians. That idea that you also have stood before the world and made it clear that you belong to Jesus. <laughs> that you're looking forward to the heaven he has promised you. And that changes the way you think and you act in regard to all kinds of things that the world would not act in that way and not understand what Jesus is talking about here. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, your reward is in heaven. And Jesus is telling you in so many words, I'm not calling on you or asking you to do anything that I've never asked believers to do throughout time since that very first sin. But I'm also not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. That's the key to the whole conversation. Look at the life of Jesus. Dissect the life of Jesus. Examine the life of Jesus by this criterion of the blessing that he knows, having come from heaven, the perfection, the wealth, the honor of heaven, the power of him being the divine, eternal being that has worn our human flesh to experience our life. All of this, every last ounce of it, is something he's experienced for the purpose of substituting himself for each and every one of us. You think about the persecution. 
the inhuman violence perpetrated against him in the last hours of his life. You think about the abandonment that he experienced, even of his own father, in the moments before his death. But you and I can only begin to imagine, as he pursued righteousness every moment of his life, and encouraged and directed others to righteousness, called them out for sin, offering forgiveness as well, doing the work of law and gospel ministry as the eternal God, walking this earth in human flesh as one of us. He experienced all of this. And it didn't change his mind even the slightest about whether this is all blessing, whether this is all good, whether this is all important for us to know and understand and accept through the guiding and empowering of the Holy Spirit to see as a part of our journey, our journey through a life in a world that most days will stink. Most days will have their pain. Most days will have their loss and their sorrow and their challenge, but there will be good days too. And he tells us elsewhere that those good days can become the equal temptation to wander away from God for the moment because of our experiencing them. What he's telling us is, in all things, understand that the journey you are on, Christian, is a journey to blessing, to wholeness, to fulfillment, and to peace. A contentment and satisfaction of what God has chosen for you in this life in any given moment because he's promised you that he's chosen what is equally perfect and infinitely better because it is in heaven where none of these things can touch. That will be your eternal experience. Great is your reward. Rejoice and be glad. Specifically because your living your faith has made you the target that it made the prophets and the apostles and even Jesus himself. It's part of the process of knowing with certainty that you belong to him, that you trust him, that you live for him, and that you know, and that you accept, and that you pursue a blessed, that is really best. Amen. Please stand. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen.